John 18, 28 through 40. As Jesus stands before Pilate, his final judge here on earth, he makes a statement that is very important. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And this statement is the source of lots of confusion and conflict today among Christians in the United States. And it's a statement that is central to our understanding of what our goal is as a church, what our desires are to be as Christians. It's a source of confusion and conflict because it's a confusing statement. And yet it's absolutely true. So let's read this account of Christ standing before Pilate the context in which he says that his kingdom is not of this world, and see what we can learn about how we're to understand this life and the life to come, this world and his kingdom, and how we as believers are to live in his kingdom. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 18, starting in verse 28 through the end of the chapter. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
Christ's kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? Well, here's an irony. The Jews were desperate for the Messiah to be a king in opposition to Rome, a king who would deliver them earthly from their earthly oppressors, the Romans. You guys see that? So the Jews were intent on Jesus being a king over a kingdom of this world. So we've got to get that in our we, we've got to get that straight in our minds. We've got to keep remembering why it is that Jesus has been delivered over to Pilate, why it is that the Jews had rejected him. The Jews had rejected him because instead of coming and raising up his arm with a sword and yelling charge and killing miraculously or otherwise a bunch of Romans and delivering the nation of Israel into its own earthly kingdom, all right, instead of doing that, he came preaching repentance. He came preaching violence against sin instead of violence against Romans, right? And so the irony is that the Jews, who were desperate for a king who would be uh, in opposition to the Romans, a king who would, who would uh, rebel against the Roman authority, when Jesus does not fulfill that desperate desire of theirs, they become angry, they turn him over to that authority that they are so desperately hating, that they're so desperate to be out from under. They turn him over to that authority, and what do they accuse him of? They accuse him of being a rebel, an earthly man who is raising up an earthly army in rebellion against Rome. That's their accusation against Jesus. That's why they hand him over to Pilate, right? Yes, they would say that the reason they want him dead is because he's blasphemed, right? But on what basis would you turn somebody over to Pilate and say he needs to be crucified? Well, we're given very clear understanding in this passage what the what the accusation that they leveled against Jesus before Pilate is. And the, the accusation is that Jesus is trying to raise up an earthly army against Rome to overthrow the Roman rule. And that's why when Pilate enters into the praetorium, what he says is, are you the king of the Jews? And so the Jews are absolutely stuck on an earthly understanding of the kingdom of God. Right? They're absolutely stuck on this understanding that, that, that 
the Messiah's kingdom is to be a kingdom of this world, a kingdom of this realm. And the Romans, too, see no, know nothing about any kind of kingdom aside, a kingdom aside from a kingdom of this world, right? What does Pilate care about Jesus saying that he has a spiritual following? He doesn't care. That's why he says, I find no guilt in him, right? So Jesus, the true Messiah, didn't give the Jews what they wanted, and therefore they resorted to turning him over to Rome, accusing him of being an enemy of Rome. That's ironic. The one thing they were desperate for was an enemy of Rome who was powerful. And then they use Rome to crucify the Lord of glory. When we attempt, like the Jews, to grasp this world, we lose it. You understand? When we attempt to grasp this world, we lose this world. And what else did the Jews lose? They did not just lose this world, they also lost the world to come by rejecting the Messiah. And it's the same with us. When we attempt, like them, to grasp this world, we also will lose it and we will lose the world to come. This is exactly what Jesus says in his statement, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. That's Matthew 16, 25 through 27. Now I read that, that last verse, verse 27, along with the first part where it's talking about this life and... and forfeiting your life and gaining your life. and I want to come back to that verse 27, but first, those, those first two verses. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus talking about there? What does it mean for us to save or lose our life? Well, he's talking about This world, this life, this earth, if we grasp the things of this world, if we grasp onto our life here as the life that we have to live, if, to put it in the words of a famous TV preacher, if this is your best life now, then you have given up the life to come. You understand? 
If you are living for this life now, and that's what Joel Osteen is preaching. He's preaching to live your best life now, to grasp onto this life. All right? Jesus says that the cost of that is that you will lose your life. And what he's, he goes on to make it more explicit and say, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? When we seek this life, we are not following in the footsteps of Jesus who says that his kingdom is not of this world. Rather, we are turning away from his kingdom. Romans 14, 17 puts it a little differently. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why is the kingdom of God not eating and drinking? Well, because eating and drinking refer to the pleasures of this life, right? They refer to the things of this world. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, Have you guys ever heard that statement that somebody is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Okay, certainly a common, somewhat common phrase anyway. Um, Here's the the problem with that statement. It's, It's impossible for it to be true. Okay? You cannot be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You can be, you can be, uh, there's, there's truth in the saying, okay? <laughs> but it's, it's miswritten or something. Because to be heavenly minded is the only way to become any earthly good. To be heavenly minded is to... Put your eyes on the things above, which is what Christ calls us to, which is really what he's saying here to Pilate, right? His kingdom is not of this world. He is heavenly minded. But what does that mean, and, and what does it not mean? Why, in what sense can, do I say that somebody can, there is some truth that people can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Well, Someone who over-spiritualizes things such that they, they are unable to uh, see the most basic realities before them is, in a sense, so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Now, taking the statement of Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world, There's two things, remember I said this is confusing to us, and that there's a lot of conflict related to it right now. There's two directions that we can go in misinterpreting this statement of Jesus. One of those directions is 
or not misinterpreting, but we're, you know, there's two, there's two ways we can get this wrong. One is like the Jews to have everything be about this world, about this life, about this kingdom, this country where we live, this state, this city, whatever. Your apartment, your house, this world. That's all that the Jews cared about. But on the flip side, there is a way then to take what Jesus said, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world, and then to use that as an excuse for never doing anything here. For never taking a stand on anything here in this world. For criticizing anybody who seeks to accomplish good in this life because they are heavenly minded. You know, you've got people who are heavenly minded and therefore that faith that they have is being worked out in their life through works. They're doing things and and you can only do things what? Here. Now, you're not in heaven, you're on earth, right? And so you, you take your heavenly mindedness and you apply it to your hands, to your mind, to your body, and, and what does that do? It, it puts you to work. And then you've got this category of people over here who are sniffing and snooting and looking down at people who get their hands dirty and actually do work and say, oh no, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Have you ever run into that? Well, I, if you haven't, you will. You will, you will. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, let's not lose track of the forest for the trees. All right? He is standing in an earthly, physical body on the earth earth in front of Pilate, an earthly judge, right? And why did Jesus come to earth? To establish his heavenly kingdom. How did he establish his heavenly kingdom? By taking physical actions. You see? They're not so separate as we want to make them out to be. And both of the errors that we tend towards are to draw a huge chasm, this giant gap between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, the the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, all right, to make them so separate from each other that when Jesus is pursuing establishing his heavenly kingdom, The Jews can't see that as being any benefit to them on earth, and therefore they reject him. Because there's such a chasm in their mind between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, right? And the same with these people over here. There's such a chasm that they're going to devote themselves only to the spiritual and never be willing to get their hands dirty in this world, in this life. And only have anything but criticism for people who attempt to actually accomplish anything in this life. But Jesus accomplished things in this life. 
He did not build a metaphorical spiritual bullwhip when he went and cleared out the temple, did he? Why? Because his kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> that sounds crazy, right? That's why it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. It's, but it really is the answer. Because his kingdom was not of this world, therefore he made a whip when he went and cleared out the temple. Why? Well, it's that last little part that I just sort of threw in, when he went and cleared out the temple. What is he concerned about? The temple, not the Roman barracks, right? He doesn't take a sword and go and and clear out the Roman barracks. He takes a whip and he clears out the temple because his kingdom is not of this world. Now, how do you apply this? How do you decide what is and isn't appropriate, what you give your time to, where you pour your energy? Well, I want to go back now then to this Matthew 16:27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. In a sense, the Jews got it, they got it right in insisting that there had to be an earthly component to this kingdom. Right? They had looked at the Old Testament. They had read the Old Testament. They knew that the, the people of God were to be, re, they were to be released from Bondage. They were, you know, the, the enemies of God were to be crushed. And so we look forward to that day still when Jesus says that he is going to come back with his Father and his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. When we read that he will come and crush his enemies with the rod of iron, When we read in Revelation of him having a sword coming out of his mouth, all of these things tell us about the the coming cleansing of the earth, the remaking of the world as it's supposed to be. The heavenly kingdom and the earthly kingdom come together and ultimately are going to be one under him. And so when Jesus says, yes, I'm a king, you say it right, yes, I'm a king. (laughs) You say correctly. Well, then we're not surprised when in Matthew 28, he says, after he's been resurrected, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. 
and yet his kingdom is not of this world. You understand? His kingdom is not of this world. And it's also not surprising to us when he teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our desire is to be that his will is done on earth. Our desire is to be that his will is accomplished, not just in heaven, but here on earth. And so it's not surprising that Christ himself came to earth. Thank you, son. So it's not surprising that Christ came to earth to establish his heavenly kingdom. If you... My, my son took astronomy this last year and he always came home and he was talking about the, um, in one way or another, the, the current trends in science for space exploration. One of those is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but <clears throat> bringing it a little bit lower, everybody's really concerned. There's a lot of people who aren't concerned about extraterrestrial intelligence per se, but they're really, really, really interested in life other places, right? Life other places. And even um, just a random non-Christian that I was talking to when he found out I was a Christian, he was like, one of, the, one of the things he wanted to know is whether I believed that there was life anywhere else. <clears throat> and there's a reason that, uh, that Christians have focused on the world and on earth and, and on humankind, mankind, all right, and said, this is the work that God is about. And the reason that we say that is not because we're self-centered, not because we think we're all that, but because Christ came to earth to establish his heavenly kingdom. You see? And so everybody was, was very disappointed recently when they found that Mars... The, the dirt is poisonous even to microbes. <laughs> and I just laugh. And then a non-Christian asks me, do you believe that there's any, you know, that there's any kind of otherworldly, you know, non, uh, in, in, you know, life? I say, Yeah. Yeah, there's angels and there's demons, and you don't see them here, do you? They're not of this world. But they're not of Mars either, are they? They're of the heavenly spiritual realm, you understand? 
And so, so we have to get we, we have to get this right. We can't simply dismiss this world and be like, you know what, all those people who are committing abortions and all those people who are uh, sinning in that way and the other and who are doing drugs and killing themselves and fighting in wars and whatever they want to do, that's fine. They can just kill themselves off. We're not worried about them. Our kingdom is not of this world. Christ came to earth to save sinners. You understand? Because he loved. And so, until we have the same love that Jesus uses when he, when Peter takes out his sword and tries to cut the head off the high priest, or split it in two, the, the, the priest's servant, rather, right? Jesus Tells him to put his sword away. Why? Because his kingdom is not of this world. And then, out of love, he heals his enemy. And yet, when when we say his kingdom is of this world, it does not mean that there is nothing for us to do in this world. Christ himself came to earth to establish his heavenly kingdom. And so we must also be willing to do earthly things and suffer here on earth in our obedience to Christ's kingship over his heavenly realm. See, when we enter into his kingdom, it is not a transportation out of this life and into some other spiritual life. If you become a Christian, you keep your physical body, don't you? So when Jesus gets followers, he gets physical followers that have souls, doesn't he? And then those physical followers with souls as uh, you know, embodied souls, those embodied souls, us, we then take action as embodied souls here in this life. Calvin, talking about this, um, points out the error that I think many, many people are about to begin falling into again as uh, as persecution increases and as the earthly authorities perform wicked deeds, which they are performing, right? Um, What many people have done over the years is look at that and say, we need to, we need to reject all earthly authority. We need to reject all, uh, any, 
expectation or any command that the that the kingdoms that the kings and rulers of this world are supposed to do anything godly. There is no reason for us to call the United States to repent of its murderous foreign policy or its murderous domestic policy. That's of this world. You see, you, you see how that would be a temptation, right? Because then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But Calvin goes on to say that, you know, the, the rulers of this world are called to defend justice. They are called to protect the church of God. They are called to, uh, to use their authority in a righteous manner, their authority that they've been given, and Christians are to call them to do that. But he doesn't, he doesn't go on to say it's their job to you know, establish a one-world a, a one government that's, that's entirely Christian. You know, and this is the error that, that's, that a lot of other people are falling into, this theonomist idea that, that it's our job to establish an earthly kingdom for God. It's not our job to establish an earthly kingdom for God. It's our job to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We cannot separate them so far apart. And we cannot unify them so close together that we're unable to distinguish between them either. And so Calvin says that, uh, that any benefit that governments happen to have towards this work is purely accidental. And that the blood of the martyrs accomplishes much better than the sword of the government, the establishing of God's kingdom. Swords cannot. This is why Peter was commanded to put his sword away. This is why there were no, as Jesus says, my followers aren't here trying to prevent me being handed over to the Jews. Nobody's up and nobody's raised up the call to arms. And the reason is, is because of this. His kingdom is not of this world. There is, only, there is only so much that can be accomplished through the passing of a law, right? If we get confused in thinking that it's our job to end sin here on earth, Or it's our job to create the appropriate laws here on earth. Okay, that that's what our focus is about. Then we're, we're in danger of doing exactly what the Jews did. 
think about think about what happens. Um, when Christ returns again. When Christ returns again, he, he comes with all his angels and he delivers to every man according to what he deserves. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Is it our job to make sure that everybody gets what they, what they deserve. No, it's not. If we manage, if we manage to, uh, to elect people who are actually, actually have enough backbone to pass laws against abortion again in our nation, will that put an end to abortion? No, we, we know it won't, right? And so, does that mean that that shouldn't be something that we desire to see? No, of course. We want to see, see laws against murder, and we want to see them enforced, right? But just as Jesus says there will always be the poor with us, there will also always be the wicked with us. And so is it the church's job then to go and find the people who are breaking the law and make sure that they face justice? That sounds crazy, right? But, but it's, worth, it's worth asking. No, it's not the church's job. That's the government's job. And so what is the church's job? The church's job is to preach and to call to repentance. And so here's what it comes down to. Is, is abortion legal in this land? Yes. Then, then here's the church's job, to pray that his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. To call the leaders to repent of their wickedness, to call the people who are performing abortions and getting abortions to repent of their wickedness and to believe in Jesus Christ, right? Now, let's say that the law changes. Does the work of the Christian and the church change? Hardly at all. We have one less category of of repentance to call for. But even then, you know that you're going to have to keep calling them to repentance and to boldness and and to actually seeking justice as leaders, right? When have Christians ever had a time when they didn't have to push their leaders to be faithful? to seek justice. There's never been a time because there have always been sinners and there always will be. So Christ's kingdom is not of this world and yet here we are and we're not so heavenly minded 
that were no earthly good. Let's pray.